Welcome to Professoring, the show that gives you the R and R. The real and realer about life in academia. I am Badia Ahad Lagardi, literary scholar, native Chicagoan, super stepmom, amateur golfer, and co-host. And I'm Anthony Ocampo, sociologist, writer, Los Angelino, puppy parent, Virgo for life, and your other co-host. <laughs> Virgo for life? Virgo for life. I don't think that changes, just as an FYI. <laughs> Once a Virgo, always a Virgo. <laughs> oh, I'll show you how much of a Virgo I am. <laughs> I think your horoscope is stable. What is your horoscope? I'm an Aquarian. What is that? The best Aquarian? sign in That's the zodiac. That's not even a sign. Aquarian is not a sign. It's Aquarius. Aqua- oh, you said Aquarian. But I am an Aquarian. Oh, that's the noun version. Well, the personhood version oh. of Aquarius is Aquarian. Yes. I'm a Virgo. The best sign. I don't even know what that means, Aquarian. What is it? What are the characteristics of an Aquarian? Oh, well, this is interesting. So, fiercely independent. Hmm. Passionate about social justice. Really? Yeah. Very free spirited. And I actually saw something about it once. It said BFF collector, which I thought was kind of like not great. But BFF collector. I do have a lot of friends. <laughs> and they're all BFF. I would say, like, I mean, I have a lot of close friends, so okay, that's some of the major characteristics. But that's not what we're talking about. Today is not about academic horoscopes. Today, we're talking about social media. Oh, yeah. Social media, on which you can post about your horoscope and read about. But that's not... We're actually talking about social media as a serious topic. So today, we're talking about social media <laughs> and... I am rarely excited to talk about this topic, not be, not only because I enjoy social media, but because I really feel like we're in this really interesting phase. I mean, people used to think of social media and, and disaggregate it from quote unquote real life. But increasingly, we're seeing that there's a welding between mm-hmm. your online presence and your actual IRL. That means in real life, <laughs> Badia, presence. Dang, Anthony. But Burn. I want Burn. You know, let's talk about each other's social media career. So I'm curious, number one, what was the platform you got on first and why did you get on social media? Here we're going to see some differences in our entree into it, I think. I don't remember. I mean, I, I'm sure it was Facebook, mm-hmm. but I mean, I have no idea like in terms of like a rationale. Like I think at first... Maybe it's because I was excited to connect with people that I had lost touch with from high school and things like that. Uh And then it just kind of became a normal part of life. But I think that that was it. I mean, I think I started my Twitter account, I want to say back in, let's see, doesn't Twitter tell you like when you first got on there? I joined November 2011, but I can tell you with all certainty that I did not even know that I started that in November 2011. I didn't become active, quote unquote, with Twitter uh-huh. until last summer or summer before last, something like that. Yeah. So Facebook was good for rekindling friendships from yesteryear. Yeah. And for me, there are similar things. It was a, It's a great way to keep in touch. But my entree into social media actually started when I was a teenager. <laughs> 
There was this thing called America Online where <laughs> you had to use a telephone that was connected to the wall and you could only use one or the other, the internet or the telephone. And so fascinating. Fascinating. And we go brum, brum, brum. there's like if you listen to Janet Jackson's Velvet Rope album, there's actually one track that does the AOL That's signing it? on. Are I will you sure play about it for that? you during the break. So Maybe AOL. Dana could add that to the episode notes. Notes, please. Okay, so anyway, AOL. I was all about the AOL Instant Messenger, getting into chat rooms, talking with people that were strangers, <laughs> and just connecting with folks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. That was just a normal part of adolescence. And then once college happened, you know, obviously there was things like Facebook. But before that, there were there was MySpace where you had to, you could curate your own page. Mm-hmm. You could put pictures, you could put a profile, you had a, a, a song, you had your top eight friends that you had to rank, oh. which you get into some drama. But obviously, this is an academic professor-related podcast, so let me segue really quickly into talking about why this matters for the rest of you <laughs> listening. Social media, it's, it's like, it's at first on Facebook, it was this weird thing where Facebook started as, let's connect with friends, and then all of a sudden there was this thing called the news feed and people started to produce content and post not just their vacations or their puppies or their new babies, but academics really started to post mm-hmm. about their careers. Mm-hmm. So they would put, I got a publication. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would post about new jobs and it became this what one of my favorite writers, Alexander Chi, I heard him say this once, social media is, it's become this kind of success theater Mm, mm -hmm. where people perform their careers in a Mm -hmm. particular way. And so, yeah, I think it's weird. Yeah, I I would say that, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a, I was clearly an early adopter and a late adopter of Twitter all at the same time. So Uh I I started the account, didn't really know what to do with it, didn't really know what I was doing in that space. But then within the last year and a half, I've kind of come around to embracing Twitter. And the only reason that I've done that Uh is because I get a chance to read perspectives of scholars globally, I would say, yeah, that I respect. I care about their opinions. I care about what they're saying in response to various kind of social issues that are emerging right now. I'm interested in the kind of things that they're working on and thinking about. And Twitter, albeit briefly, <laughs> allows me to get a sense of that from such a broad range of people that I'm not necessarily quote unquote friends with. Yeah. So I feel like Twitter has done a lot in the way of just expanding my academic universe dramatically. So I I love it for that reason. I mean, there's a lot that I don't like about Twitter, but mm-hmm. I hang in there for that reason. Yeah, in some ways it's the salon or the... Yes. It's the salon that you've always wanted when you're the only blank. Right. Only Filipino, only only black woman in a department. Being in a Twitter space where you can engage with folks that have the same intellectual reference points or theoretical reference points, that feels super cool. It is. And 
also, I mean, we just did a podcast episode about, well, it wasn't really about this, but we talked about conferences. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is that they're so expensive and that they re- reproduce certain forms of elitism and what yeah. have you. But Twitter, I think does a lot in the way of undermining a lot of that right oh, yeah. so like all you have to have is an account uh-huh. <laughs> and you can get on there and you can talk to you, know, you can be a second year grad student and you can be engaged in a dialogue with you know a full professor at an ivy league institution who may find your ideas compelling or you know so i feel like it's a space that brings some equality to the conversation uh-huh. that we can't really get in real life or IRL as you explained <laughs> nice it to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I love that. And I think that that is the wonderful thing I've seen with academia, particularly with the graduate students. Graduate yeah. students, I, I feel like there used to be this ethos that graduate students should limit their online profiles and mm-hmm. graduate students were just really resistant to that in part because they were building real supportive communities, communities genuine yeah. friendships, serious feedback loops to get to get perspectives on the work that they have if they didn't have a, a scholar in the department that could give the right kind of feedback. And they've just harnessed it in a way that I think is really admirable for me as someone that didn't use Twitter during grad school. I'm, I'm really enjoying the way communities are emerging from yeah. the Twitter sphere. Yeah, totally. But I also see, I mean, I had the luxury, I'll say, of having someone who was proficient in Twitter Uh give me a Twitter tutorial. Like, we just kind of hung out one day, and she's like, come on over to Twitter. And I was like, it just looks so overwhelming. You know, I get in there, and it's like all of this stuff, and I don't really know how to engage. And so... What would you say to someone who feels like that, right? Who understands that Twitter has this wonderful capacity to connect people um, and to produce certain kinds of communities, but Uh they just don't know where to start or where to go? Well, I was one of these people (laughs) (laughs) where I just did not understand Twitter. I would post something... It's so different. When you post on Facebook, you post things about, I don't know what it is, if it's the, 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 the tone or the language, but it's just a different genre of writing. And, mm-hmm. and so things I would post on Twitter, I was like, oh my God, not that likes matter. Well, they do, but like nothing would happen. And I didn't understand what was going on. And it wasn't until my friend Nancy Wang Yen, mm-hmm. who gave this wonderful Twitter webinar for the ncfdd i was like yo nancy (laughs) can we go get lunch (laughs) and you teach me how to do this twitter thing because i really did not know how to do it and what i really loved about the way she explained it 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 was almost as if she was likening it to a if you're walking to a party Mm -hmm. in a party there are a bunch of different conversations that are happening and Mm -hmm. in the same way at a party you wouldn't just like go up to a group of people and just start talking mm-hmm. you orbit around you you get a sense of the landscape you listen and then you find a moment to interject mm-hmm. and then ride the wave of whatever convo you find yourself in so that's the the rule of thumb that i picked up from her that's worked really well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i also love live tweeting during events that's also a really fun way to engage with people whether it's live tweeting about scandal or project runway or presidential debate mm-hmm. that's 
that's a really easy party, quote-unquote, in which you could jump into a convo and, and learn how to engage with people. To bring it back to academics, the easiest thing to do is is just to dig around a little bit and find folks in your discipline, find folks that you have some sort of shared interest with. For me, there's Filipino Twitter. There's obviously Black Twitter is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's academia Twitter. There's sociology Twitter. There's queer POC Twitter. There's a whole lot of little mini groups mm-hmm. that are very happy to have you. You just mm-hmm. have to like at a at a party, just muster up the courage to yeah get in there. Yeah, I mean, I would say that my social media persona is. I'm kind of a cruiser. I will dip in, I'll dip out. Uh-huh. There'll be days where I'm not really thinking about social media, and so I'm not checking it or anything like that. I know that you are a lot more active, especially in the in the Twitter-verse or Twitter-sphere <laughs> than I am. But I want to ask you about your most recent... Oh, you're going to ask me about a specific... Experiment. Oh, yeah. So... Because you're so prolific... That's very Twitter. nice of you. I'm not. I don't. I don't even have a blue check mark. But you have like nine thousand followers. Yes. I just looked, which I hear is the sweet spot. A lot of people tell me that once once they get to ten, twelve thousand followers, that's when you get all the super trolls coming into. Oh, your... you don't want that. No. So I'm very happy at my nine thousand. I have three hundred and fourteen. <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> but you know what? I like my three hundred and fourteen followers because they really did just say. I want to follow her. Yes. Like, she's it. No one tells me that. <laughs> they follow me because other people follow me. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. So I like Twitter because mm-hmm. for all the reasons you mentioned, if you feel, you feel less lonely. Academia can be a little bit lonely for mm-hmm. a whole lot of reasons from being the only in your department to, you know, being the only person that researches what you care about to being queer, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So... For all the reasons of connecting, I like it. For all the reasons of reading the news or staying up on conversations, I like it. But it was only until that tutorial with Nancy that I I really dove into posting. Mm -hmm. That's like a big transition. There's a lot of people that do the consuming part, but Mm -hmm. posting on Twitter is has become a joy sometimes. I can tell. You post a lot. (laughs) I post about once every three weeks. Yeah. Maybe. And my motivation for posting is similar to why I used to post on Facebook. I, you know, que- gay, same-sex marriage wasn't always the law of the land. Mm-hmm. There was a time in which when I was struggling with sexuality or struggling with being one of the few Filipinos in academia, what I noticed was that observing Filipinos or queer people who were ahead of me in some way, whether professionally or personally, that became a lifeline, whether they knew me or not. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that when I had some position of privilege, now that I'm gainfully employed as a professor, now that I've published a book, now that I'm in a, a relationship, now that my parents are cool with my queer side, I felt some obligation to live that out loud because I've met many a young queer folks of color who said I'm not there yet but seeing that it's possible it means something and and the career sense same thing happened with graduate students where they're like I didn't think finishing my PhD or writing a book on Filipinos was possible so it means something to me that I see that you exist so that was my motivation 
for posting on Twitter and very much inspired by Roxane Gay, who's this woman who wrote this book, Bad Feminist, who talks about the importance of being messy because it shows that you're fully human. Mm -hmm. I don't only do what I think a lot of academics do, which I think is really annoying, which is just brag about their accomplishments yeah. and or humble brag about their yeah. accomplishments. I'm really, really intentional about posting failures, rejections, unflattering moments, mm -hmm. just because I want folks to see that I'm a whole person. person. But we both actually, I think, again, going back to the experiment. Yeah. Well, mine was less of an experiment than yours because I just quit Facebook. Facebook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was done with it. I, I understand why Facebook is oof, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I had to let it go. I, I, why I still do Twitter obviously. And I still like Instagram because I'm someone who growing up, I just loved looking at pictures and magazines and mm -hmm. I feel like Instagram is now my you know digital way of, of doing that same activity but why did I let go of Facebook well I realized I was not getting anything from it that was making me happier smarter <laughs> nothing like it was literally like no value oh it's like drinking bottom shelf liquor yeah basically <laughs> it's like I won't name any names, but yeah. So it's like that. I realized that when I got bored or just had some downtime, I would find myself floating mm -hmm. over there. And then I would go down these like silly rabbit holes. And you know, there can be like a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of chatter on Facebook that is ill-informed, the socially conservative, that just, you know, and it's like, why? I, I just didn't want to participate. In addition to that, not like Facebook doesn't own everything, but you know they had that experiment? What experiment? Where they manipulated what people could see on their news feeds. So they did this experiment without asking the permission of its users, oh. where for some people they filtered their news feeds so that they were only seeing negative things. Oh. And for other people, they were filtering them so that they were seeing like positive or uplifting things. And they did it to determine how that influences people's purchasing practices. Oh, wow. No, right. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, there's been, I think the New York Times, Washington Post, like they, it was a couple years ago, but they all wrote about it. And Facebook's defense was like, well, you know, when you sign up as a member, like you are inherently giving your permission to uh. become. So I'm not even going to get into the ethics of that, which mm -hmm. I think are <laughs> pretty clear. But I also felt like, do I want to make myself that vulnerable? Oh, yeah. That's the thing. You're so vulnerable to the, <laughs> like the, the news feed affects you. Your, yeah, exactly. Your exactly. So what if, you know, I'm having going through a particularly difficult experience. And fortunately, I'm not someone who suffers from clinical depression or I don't suffer from any mental health issues. But what if I did? And Facebook is now filtering everything mm -hmm. so that I'm only seeing horrible negative things every time I log on, right? So I had to ask myself, do I want to be the guinea pig for whatever they decide that they want to come up with to enhance their, you know, advertising dollars or something like that. So 
for all these reasons and more. And, and now there's actually been scholarly research studies that have shown that Facebook consumption in particular leads to feelings of depression and emotional anxiety and what have you. So I'm going to stay on the side of science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel, <laughs> even without being absorbed into the Facebook experiment, mm-hmm. to be honest, seeing all the joyful, wonderful things happening to people mm-hmm. all the freaking time because mm-hmm. people are so about curating their content on Facebook. Not to say they don't do it on Twitter, but... Or Instagram. Or Instagram. It just gets really freaking annoying. Yeah. You know, I think that... I, sh- I shouldn't say that's not nice. I, I do love when people post good news. But if I'm not going through the best of times, sometimes seeing good news isn't yeah. what I need. Yeah. And when you're on Facebook, you can't control the headspace you're in right. when you get certain types of news. Right. And not to mention that sometimes, how many times have I, have I learned that someone has passed away in my yeah. family through Facebook? That's yeah. not the best way to learn right. about things. So. I'm with you on the leaning away from Facebook, and I do like Twitter more. But tied to your question about experiment, Twitter also has its under, what is it, underbelly? Dark underbelly, yeah. Yeah. I love posting Mm -hmm. because, again, for the reasons that I mentioned, and I think there's actually this other, from a creative point of view, I've heard this from creative writers that social media is also a fun place to Mm -hmm. practice sentences and you get to see how your writing resonates. So uh, it used to be blogs and social media now sort of Mm -hmm. overtook that. And it's true. I I absolutely love following writers because they practice their sentences. It's it's amazing how much of an effect they can have in 240 characters, particularly like people that write poetry, for example, or fiction. It's just, I love it. But... At the same time, I felt like the phone controlled me <laughs> when I'd wake up in the morning. And I'm not the only person that does yeah. this, but the first thing I'd want to do was check a news feed. If I posted something, the first thing I want to do is check the number of likes. Right. I don't like when I walk around in a beautiful day and I see people's faces buried in their phones. Yeah. And here I was being guilty of this, yeah. not having the ability to be present. And so the good thing about Twitter, again, is that you connect with all these communities. The negative thing is that you connect with all these communities and all of a sudden you feel the need to maintain these conversations and you feel like if you leave, you're being rude in the same Mm -hmm. way like if you left a dinner party, it might be rude. So I did this experiment last year, dry January, where it wasn't booze, it was social social media. media. I took off all the social medias off my phone. This year I even took off email off my phone. That was wonderful. But I never have had that on my phone. That's great. I don't even know why people do that. So, yes, <laughs> I took off social media off my phone <laughs> just as an experiment. Yeah. And it had real effects when I couldn't it, like my instinct was to pick up the phone. Yeah, I wouldn't pick it up anymore. And there were all sorts of I actually wrote them down. Let me let me see. My, my insights from dry January are on my notes. And I want to share some of them, if that's okay. Yes. Is that your yes face? Share your top three. Look, I have a whole page. Right. That's why I said your top three, because I knew it was going to be like 50. So if I had to sum up my top threes from this annual dry January social media experiment, it's number one. I'm just way more fully present with the people that matter most in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I only interacted with like five people. 
But those five people I gave my all to, whether we were having dinner or having ordinary moments, watching TV together. I loved it. And number two, I would say the revelation that I don't need social media was amazing. Nothing happens. You come back to social media and the world is still on fire. <laughs> and Pretty academia much. is still academia. And there's something empowering about the fact that you can leave and know that it's okay. Like you can jump back in when you need. And oh my gosh, number three, and maybe I'll move this to number two because I love, I just read so much. I read books. I read The New Yorker, all mm -hmm. my issues in New Yorker that are stacked <laughs> in my office that I've never even cracked open. I like read about all sorts of different things because mm -hmm. I had the bandwidth to engage with long form essay in a way that I couldn't when I was just consuming my bottom shelf social media mm -hmm. <laughs> posts that were like drinking pop off vodka instead of yeah. top shelf. So those are my top three. Well, it's funny when I quit Facebook, you know, I just let people know that I was quitting Facebook. So the did the classic message, like I'm out of here, but if you want to find me on Twitter, Instagram, here's mm -hmm. my stuff. Uh -huh. I got about 20 DMs almost within 20 minutes. Who was so, sliding into your DMs? Saying like, why are you doing this? And how can I do it? Or like, like how... Oh, they were jealous. Well, they wanted to get off too. And they just felt like they didn't quite have the courage or weren't quite ready. And so they were trying to figure out how did I prepare myself to make that transition? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, because it wasn't just, you know, an experiment. I was leaving. Yeah. And so they're like, I want to leave too. It was almost like we're all in this cult. And they were uh -huh. asking me, like, how are you escaping? Um but I think I was relieved, to be honest, at how easy Facebook makes it to leave. Because they zip up all your stuff in uh -huh. the file. Yeah. So every post you've ever written, every picture you've ever posted, it takes like, depending on how much it is, a couple of hours uh -huh. to download everything. Oh, you get to keep it. Yeah. They send it to you via email in a zip file. Oh. So I literally have everything, like all of my content is in a zip file. Oh, so it doesn't, oh, I didn't know that, okay. Yeah, granted, they ask you every day, like they send you messages like, are you sure it wasn't a mistake? Mm -hmm. We'll give you 30 more days just to make sure that you're sure. Oh, I wow. mean, so they give you 30 days to like feel regretful yeah. and to want to come back. But I was shocked, I, like literally, I mean, and I'm not exaggerating when I say no less than 20 people reached out to me, even. I think I was one of those people. You were. <laughs> You're I was like, like, you're talking about me. You're like, help, I want to leave too. <laughs> but like, people were all up in my text messages uh -huh. and all up in my email and all up in my DMs from, on Facebook. Like, how do you do this? So it's a lot of folks who are trying to like get off. But I, but I think for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, because they're wanting to be more present and mm -hmm. also feeling like so out of control yeah. with yeah. it. So it, I felt like it was that. And I felt like I was... I enjoy my occasional academic read. You know, as someone mm -hmm. that has tenure, I feel like it's important for me to just read academia for its filth whenever there are moments that are bad because I want grad students to see that whatever messed up things happening, that's not right yeah. or something. But 
I shouldn't survive off of that. Right. You know, and I think that that was what I was noticing was that I, I felt like I was needing it and I didn't like that. Yeah, totally. So okay. speaking of being fully present. Oh, this is I've just got back on Twitter. Yes, you did. A couple of days ago. And Instagram. And Instagram. You know how I know that you were back on Instagram? How? Because you liked like four of my posts from like weeks I ago. I did. I did. <laughs> I was that creepy guy. That I was like, I, I went through your old posts. Yes, I was like, what are all these likes? <laughs> How's he, that's like that's at least three or four thumb swipes. <laughs> so, yes, I am back on Twitter, and just to drill home the point of how much the fully presentness disappears on the way here to Detroit, mm-hmm. I was in the the Uber and was on my Twitter whatever. And you know what I did when I no. got to where I was staying? I left my freaking backpack, my laptop, my iPad, <gasps> my charger, three leisure books that I will not read during this trip. I left it in the freaking Uber because I was so oh my God. into the news feed that I literally walked out of the car without the most important bag. It has my book. The book I'm writing is on that laptop. So just to drill home the point of how much yeah. everyone should check themselves in terms of their, is your device controlling your attention span? Right. I almost lost my second book to an Uber. <laughs> well, you know, again, just to bring it back to NCFDD sphere as uh-huh. well. I always love when people do the time tracking exercise Uh because invariably people always choose social media they do they choose that in combination with email Uh to really figure out how much time they're spending and even though you feel like it's only five minutes here 10 minutes there whatever that adds up and people realize like by the end of the week they've spent you know multiple hours Uh on social media and i'm not saying it's a bad thing like if that's okay with you and that's what you want to be doing but if you really feel like you're one of those people who says oh I don't have time to write every day or I don't have time to read new articles that are coming out in my field or I don't have time to do xyz and I wish I did well you know tracking your time for one week and looking at like how you're really spending your time on social media I think could reveal a lot yeah and it also does i think dispel of the myth that like you know I'm, oh i'm not really spending a lot of time on there or i'm just kind of hanging out for a second and and, and bouncing and i think with the the time is one way to do it but one thing that it re- got revealed to me during this little experiment of getting off social media was that it was it was time mm-hmm. but it was also how much emotional bandwidth yes the energy that got expended. Because yes. sometimes spending 10 minutes on Twitter on some national controversy could be the most physically taxing thing in the world. Well, you know, I had some problems with this book, but there were a lot of gems in it. The Cal Newport deep work. I like Cal Newport. He's a he's a Georgetown professor who writes about work. He's yeah. a computer science professor, yeah. but he has this like side hustle where yeah. he writes about work, work-life balance, careers. Yeah, and I really appreciated that book. And I mean, like I said, there were a couple of things where I was like, oh, you can tell this is written by someone who has a pretty cushy academic. I mean, like there are just certain modes of privilege that kind of emerged in the context of the advice. But there were some good takeaways. And he talked about 
attention residue Ooh. as being one of the reasons why he's actually not on social media. Oh, that's um, right. And he mentioned that, you know, even if you glance at something for a couple of minutes uh-huh. and try to get back to the task at hand, yeah. like your mind is actually still in that other space. Like yeah. there's no way that you can yeah. fully attend to. So you know, even if you're writing your book, right? And then you take a 10 minute social media break, you don't come back to the book the same, no, right? So, you know, I think that that's something to be mindful of. And if you're using Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, that just understand that, you know, this is not, it's not like a clean psychic break (laughs) when you're trying to actually get back to your professional life. For sure. So. With that, I think we will cut to commercial Commercial, and hear a little bit from NCFDD. The National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity, or NCFDD, is a professional development organization with the mission of changing the face of power in the academy. We aim to strengthen the higher education system and improve the academic experience by offering specialized coaching and mentoring to faculty, postdocs, and graduate students. Please visit us at www.facultydiversity.org to learn more about our services, including institutional membership, our faculty success program, and our on-campus workshops. By now, you should know that every episode we have this amazing segment called Peer Review in which Badia and I simulate the peer review process. One of us is reviewer number one, which you know is the proud parent, <laughs> the nice reviewer that that really sees you and sees the contribution of your work. And then there's reviewer number two, who, for whatever reason, decided to inject their hateration or their negativity into whatever you were working on. And yeah, that's the review process in a nutshell. Everyone knows what it's like to get two people that have different perspectives. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do here is do peer review about certain topics that everyone loves talking about in academia. So our peer review topic for today is social media, social media in particular. There's so much to say about this (laughs) that we had to keep it as our peer review topic. Yeah. So basically Twitter, yay or nay. I mean, I think people can probably get a sense of how we feel about these things, Mm -hmm. but in terms of, you know, reviewer number one, reviewer number two, I'm going to go with uh, number one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, yay. Yeah. Yeah. I I support Twitter for publication as well. I think (laughs) it's great. I think it's so great, assuming you can control yourself. Yes. I think it's really great because you can connect with people. You can find community. You can, honestly, as a writing tool, you get to practice your sentences and see what resonates to a larger public. You get to crowdsource these are all c words <laughs> community it's a lot of alliteration alliteration there yeah, um, yeah, yeah. there is a cesspool it's another c word of of trolls and i think that it's important to acknowledge that women people of color queer people mm-hmm. have a higher tendency to get trolls than other folks so let me just say that that's real but mm-hmm. if done 
intentionally, I think Twitter could advance or elevate everything about this career in ways that are super positive. Yeah. I love the fact that I've been able to curate my community mm-hmm. in that space. And so generally speaking, I mean, you know, some stuff creeps in and I'm like, what? But generally speaking, I am getting nothing but a plethora of great stuff from really smart people. And I love that. And I also, just in terms of the networking, like I I was telling Anthony recently that I had a Twitter moment that translated to a in real life moment that was so special. I like this moment. Yeah, I am Twitter friends with a scholar whose work I really, really, really admire. And we actually have a couple of mutual friends, but I don't know her. I know her mostly from Twitter. And I presented at a conference and she was in the audience. And after my presentation was over, I had a message from her in my inbox on Twitter telling me how lovely my paper was. <gasps> That's so, it she was, didn't have to do that. That's she didn't. so nice. It was so nice. And just to know that I followed her because of how much I admire her work uh-huh. and for her to reach out to me and say that she really appreciated what I shared that day was so affirming in the best of ways. So I didn't even have to wait to get like an accept from reviewer number one. Uh I actually got so much validation from that one little interaction. And then I ended up going to her panel the next day, but I told her I'd have to leave early because I had to catch a flight back to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I walked into the room and she came from around the table And gave me a huge hug and said, you know, I know that you said you you would have to leave early. So I wanted to just say hi to you in person. And uh, yeah, so now, like, you know, I feel like I have a real life connection with this person. But it all started from our Twitter connection. So I love that story. Yeah, it was a translatable experience. And I think that that's the perfect story to to sum up why this the separation between in real life and, and social media it's so arbitrary because to be honest i feel like that that moment that hug yeah that dm when you're having a bad day with yeah. writing or whatever drama happens that it will inevitably happen at the job that's the moment that's gonna power you through that's gonna be your battery life and mm-hmm. so i i love those are touchstones yeah it was awesome and with that, we're going to close out of this episode of Professoring. Yo, I know you have a lot to say about this conversation, so please feel free to hit us up at podcast at facultydiversity.org. You can follow Badia at Ahad on Twitter. And you can follow me at, at Anthony Ocampo. We will hear from you next time. Or you'll hear from us. I'm sorry. <laughs> We'd like to hear from you too, but yeah. Okay. You'll bye. mostly be hearing from us. Okay. Later. <laughs> <laughs>